Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until until you have paid the last penny. Hello again. Good morning. Everybody good? Good. Good. You were a bit unruly earlier. I think we're back. Uh, Okay. So uh, last week we did, um, we did all the way up to verse 22. Um, and then I sort of had to stop because there's so much information there. Uh, now we're going to do, we're going to do, uh, 23 to 26 and, um, Jesus does something fascinating and takes a weird turn that sort of, it it would seem that none of the audience would expect. And, uh, I'll tell you why. Maybe you didn't see it. Maybe you didn't go like, whoa, you will. Don't worry. Um, so, uh, I'm just... I'm just going to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to do this, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place. Thank you for these people. Thank you for gathering us together this morning. I ask that you would help us to be present and here. Let us uh, put aside the distractions of the week, the weights, the burdens. Um, help us to release them and, and just receive what you have for us this morning. Um, fill us with your, your knowledge um, and give us wisdom on how to apply that knowledge. Give us, uh, help us understand the, the first century context, but give us 21st century sort of eyes and this ability to work this stuff out in today and whatever it means for us here today. Um, uh, I ask that you would help me to remember the things I've studied this week. Let me to communicate clearly. Um, let us be moved by these passages. Let us uh, take them inside, receive them, let the gospel touch places it hasn't touched yet before um, and shift something in us every time we come together that makes us more like you, that sort of corrects the trajectory of our path and sets it on the path towards you. Um, thank you for this place. Thank you for these people, for allowing us to gather as a family, as one body, one community. Uh, thank you for teaching us about yourself from each other, from these, com- from these conversations that we have, from communion, from worship. Um, from house churches, um, beautiful things are happening. Thank you. It's all a gift, and we receive it. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Okay, so um, um, if you'll remember before this passage entirely, Jesus goes on this, um, on this it's a little bit of a rant, and, and he kind of talks about the, uh, having this, he says, unless you have righteousness that is higher than the Pharisees and the scribes. Um, you have no part in the kingdom of heaven. Now, um, we talked about that like at length. If you missed all that, you need to go back and listen to it. But um, there was this righteousness that the scribes and the Pharisees had that was like, we obey the laws. We obey the rules. All the things that are written out, we find a million rules inside them and we obey all those rules. It's all about obeying rules. Um, and then Jesus says, but there's a righteousness that's higher. It's deeper than just obeying the laws. It's this 
It's this, it's this righteousness that goes down deep into our souls, into our hearts, into our minds that guides us. It's this presence of God there. It's a heart that is renewed and made different, uh, which causes us to look at the world around us vastly different. And then he goes on the next like chapter and a half, naming a bunch of things that says, look, here's the wisdom of the scribes and Pharisees. Here's the wisdom of the kingdom of God. Here's the wisdom of the scribes and Pharisees. And here's the wisdom of the kingdom of God. And so he comes to this passage on murder. And let me underline some things. And he starts off and he says, uh, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Universal laws. Everyone knows murder is wrong. You go to any tribe, you go to any nation, they're going to say, yeah, murder is generally frowned upon. It's not really acceptable here. Um, although it happens everywhere. Um, you shall not murder. Uh, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And Jesus says, but there is wisdom deeper than that. There's a righteousness that is deeper than that. It's the righteousness of God. It's, it's what happens when, uh, when uh, the word of God penetrates your heart. And he, and, and he says this, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You see, the murder, it doesn't start with murder. You don't just wake up and murder somebody. It starts with this anger that is, that is welling up inside of you. And last week we talked about this at length, the kind of anger he's talking about. We open that all up. Um, and then he goes even deeper than that, uh, deeper than anger, because there's something that causes your anger. Uh, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, it's this, uh, it's this ancient word, raka. It's not necessarily a word of insult. It's a tone of speaking at somebody, not to somebody, at somebody. It's this, uh, um, you put yourself here and you put them down here. Speaking down to somebody, calling them a fool, ignorance, not pure-blooded or um, basically insulting, by, insulting them because of a, an accent they have or a language they speak or a place that they're from or the color of their skin or general interests. It's thinking of your ways as up here and everyone else's ways as down there. It's looking down upon others, thinking of other people as, huh, I'm glad I'm not like them. We see this all through the New Testament and the Pharisees are taking part in this. Uh, anyone who looks down upon anyone else, it's this um, misogyny, racism, xenophobia. It's, it's all that. It's all that, and it's also just the general um, intellectual, here's me, here's them. My understanding is greater, and I look down on them. It's all connected in there. Um, and so he condemns all that. None of that has any part. It's, it's liable to the fires of hell. None of that has any part in the kingdom of God. None of it. Um, and then we come to today's passage, because he, he takes this, and from here, he breaks it into two different illustrations. And uh, I'm going to talk about the illustrations first, and then we're going to talk about the meaning of them because it's a little wild why why he does this. Um, So he says this. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar uh, and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Now, Jesus is in Galilee and he's teaching Galileans and Jerusalem is a three-day journey. Jerusalem is the temple that's where the temple is, where you would offer your sacrifices. This is um, uh, hyperbolic, this story. It's hilarious. It's kind of, uh, okay, so you're, you've packed up all your stuff. You're going to go offer your annual sacrifices. You have your bag of money. You've got your family with you, and you're going to leave. Um, and you're going to take a three-day journey, sleeping under the stars for three days. You're going to get to Jerusalem, and you're going to walk into Jerusalem to the city gates, and you're going to, um, you check the little list of like, Depending on how much you made, there's like a sliding scale for, for offerings. There really was. Like if you're really poor, you, can, you sacrifice a bird. Yeah, if you're middle, middle of the road, it's going to be a goat. So he goes and he buys his goat, um, ties a little rope around it, walking through the town with its goat. It's making noise. The whole family is with him. Busy city. You're going to go down to the temple and you're going to walk in with your goat through the, through the temple gates. And you're going to walk in through the court of the Gentiles 
and you're going to pass through the court of the women, and then you're going to pass through the court of the, um, of the men, and you're going to pick up your goat, and you're going to walk over to the, to the Levite priest who's on the other side of this railing. And uh, you've declared sort of your sins and your family's sins over this goat, and you're about to hand it over to be sacrificed so that your sins can be atoned for and taken care of. Ancient way, like ancient world, okay? Doesn't make a lot of sense to us now. We live in a completely new time, a new place. Um, and they're about to hand, your, hand this goat over to the Levite priest. Um, and suddenly you realize, oh, I forgot I totally offended Tanya. Like, she's really mad. I said something. Um, I was looking down on her. I was pretty judgmental. But Tanya's upset. Um, but here I am. Like, I made a three-day journey. Here I am. Uh, what am I going to do? Uh, okay, hold on, Mr. Priest. Set down the goat, maybe tie it to the rail, right? You don't want your sacrifice wandering off. Go get your family. And they're like, where are we going? I forgot about Tanya. You forgot about Tanya? I did, I forgot about Tanya. So you're going to gather your family and you're going to rush three days back to Galilee. And you're going to find Tanya. Tanya, there you are. Come here. Funniest thing happened. I was in Jerusalem. Okay? And you're going to reconcile. Whatever it was that happened, you're going to reconcile. You're going to make it right. And you're going to get your family, make the three days journey back. So this whole thing, like nine days now, offering one sacrifice. Um, and so Jesus is telling the story. It's very hyperbolic and it's huge. Um, and there's this, it's a point to be made about how you view your relationship with others and whether or not you think that relationship has anything to do with your relationship with God. Because Jesus argues that it does. And it's not just Jesus that argues that it does. The prophets have argued this for a long time now. Um, And the people have known this for a long time. You can see it in their writings over and over. You can see it built into the the, the way that they did things. Over and over again in scriptures, there's this insistence that it does matter whether or not uh, you are someone who loves people and lives at peace with people. It matters whether or not you are able to reconcile, whether or not you are open to apologize, whether or not you are open to make things right with other people. It infinitely matters. It has always mattered. Over and over again, the prophets insisted that the most important thing to God is not how moral you are. It's not about the sacrifices that you offer. It's not about how much you tithe. Um, It is, there's this impending notion um, that Jesus is trying to get through to them um, that what happens in your day-to-day relationships matters far more actually than what happens in the temple and what happens in the church service. Um, it's, uh, it's your righteousness on the streets that matters far more than your righteousness in the temple. I mean, offering the sacrifice in the temple was the most important thing to the Jewish people. There was nothing more important in the universe. If you were to ask them, what is the most important thing that happens in this world today, they would say, the temple in Jerusalem, the sacrifices that are offered there three times a day. That's the most important thing because it reconciles people to God. This is, this is what they would say. And Jesus takes the most important thing that a human being can do in the first century and he says, um, but don't even do that if you haven't reconciled with your brother. If you don't have a heart that's open to making things right with people, to patching things up, don't even bother doing that. Um, there's these prophets that had always said this. There's this prophet named Amos um, who uh, goes to one of the worship services there uh, in, in the ancient world and, and he stands sort of, and it's sort of like he, he walks up, he's like, can I use the microphone for a second? I have a word from God. 
I have something to say. I just, it's from God. It's not mine. It's from God. Um, and it's about this lovely service that you're doing here. Okay. I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters um, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The guitar player kind of just turns it off for a second. They're just looking at each other. Um, there's two words here that are always used when describing God and, and God's relationship with us. Uh, uh, when we're describing God in the Old Testament, you're always going to see, um, you're, you're always going to see justice and righteousness together. Um, when we think of justice today, we, we think of modern day penal justice where, um, it's sort of, what am I going to punish you for the bad thing you did? Uh, in the ancient world, um, uh, the, the words are, are, are not at all the same. The words are sedekah and, and kesed. And sedekah uh, is, this, is this justice between people. Um, sometimes, hold on, I wrote on some of the translations here. Um, sometimes it's translated community loyalty. Other times it's justice. Sometimes it's equity. Um, sometimes it's communal righteousness. Um, it always, it's not like, it's not the justice where like, um, uh, well, here's the punishment. I mean, that's wrapped up in that as well because it has to do with reconciling each other and making things right. But it more has to do with the fact that, like, are we open to each other? Are we connected? Is there something between us that needs to go? Is there a separation between me and you? What is it? How do we get rid of it? And, and so then there's this also this, uh, after that is, is the word righteousness, which is this word kesed, which is our rightness with God. And so it is always talked about in this sort of, two-pronged way where it's like it's us and people and God. These things are connected. Uh, and if you're not right with people, you're not right with God. You want to be right with God, you got to get right with people. Um, you have to have a view of people that is influenced by the gospel, which puts us all on the same level, which puts out, like puts away these thoughts like raka, like looking down on other people. Has no place in the kingdom of God, will not exist in the kingdom of God. Um, and so this is what Amos is talking about. This was so enmeshed in their system that you had to be right with people to be right with God. This was so enmeshed in their system that there was this day called the Day of Atonement. You can read about it in Leviticus 16. Um, It was a huge festival every year where the people believed on this day, this was the day that their sins were atoned for. There was two goats. One of them would be sacrificed. The other was called the Azazel lamb. And and the priest would put his hands on it and declare all the sins of the people. Probably took a while. Just declare all the sins of the people. And then this goat would be led out of the city. Literally, the lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. Like the sin of the people, right? Recognize that language. Taken out into the desert. I said this before. Later, they would probably, um, it's written down somewhere that they would go out and usually like find it and push it off a cliff. So when your sins wouldn't come back. Look, long time ago. Um, it's not my rule. Um, but this is what would happen. And, 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 and on this day, the sins of the people would be atoned for. Um, but if they found out that you confessed the sin that you needed atoned for, like you stole 30 bucks from Joanna and you didn't pay back Joanna, um, the priest would come and say, hey, your sacrifice, the sacrifice did not cover your sin. You did not make reparations to her. You did not patch it up. Your sacrifice is null and void. And whatever you brought to the table to be sacrificed, whatever you brought to the altar, um, we're going to find those pieces and we're going to take them and we're just going to throw them out of the city and they're going to be thrown in the burn pile and they're going to be burned up because that has no place here. 
If you're going to be right with God, you have to be right with people. So if they found out that you were in there worshiping God, talking about how you're right with God, confessing your sins, but there was somebody out there um, who was absolutely um, hurt by a way that you had looked at them, um, if you had made somebody like feel less human and insulted, um, you degraded them somehow, the image of God in them, just totally ignored in some way, and you didn't make it right. If you owed them money and you didn't pay it to them um, after you stole it, then your sacrifice was actually thrown out. This was a thing that would happen all the time in the ancient world. People took this very seriously. If I'm going to be right with God, I have to be right with people. It was a huge thing. Um, uh, John in 1 John 4.20 writes this. He says, those who say, I love God, and they hate their brothers and sisters, they are liars. It's like straight to the point. Uh, for those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Um, Jesus stresses to us in no uncertain terms that reconciliation with each other, it takes precedence over worship. Whatever happens in the church, it's less important than what happens between you and people. It is more important um, that you are a conduit of God's love, that it's passing through you, the grace of God passing through you, the forgiveness and the mercy of God, that you have a a posture towards people, everyone that is open loving your enemies, loving people as yourself, laying down your life for other people. This is, this is what God's people are commanded to do. This is the role that we play in all of this. Um, there was actually um, someone this morning that I hadn't seen in a while, they, they reminded me of, of something we had talked about years ago where the priest had these bells around his, um, his garments and, and the bells represented sort of good works and, you know, ring and they would ring when, when they walk and represented like you're supposed to, um, you, people used to talk about sort of metaphorically, like I can hear the bells, like, like the good works being done. But between these bells on the tassels of the, uh, of the priests were these, um, they were like pomegranates and they were, I think they were wood. Um, and they were covered in some type of cloth and they were meant to keep the bells from hitting each other to sort of silence the bells. In other words, um, the good works and stuff are silenced by the love you have for other people. It was this everything about that. The, the, the pomegranates were meant to represent love. Everything that went on in the temple was to remind the people that they were here to be a tribe for other tribes, a nation for other nations, to bless other nations. Um, and so all the pomp and the show and the circumstance meant nothing if they didn't love other people. Um, and so that's the first story. So let's go to the second story. Um, the second illustration is, is of somebody, uh, two people on their way to court. And it goes like this. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you were going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So imagine yourself, you know, you're going to court because this guy's suing you for like $80,000. And you're like carpooling to court as you do, right? I mean, that's what's happening. Like they're walking together to court. It seems awkward. It seems weird. Feel like maybe you should buy him a coffee or something. Um, Okay, so in the ancient world, there was this thing that you would see that we don't see anymore today. Um, It it was sort of like what's called a citizen's arrest, which we don't see enough of, citizen's arrest. Uh, Just joking. Um, Haven't seen a good citizen's arrest since like the 80s. Um, now, 
uh, it was called, uh, it was called, I believe, yes, apagoge is what it was called. And it was, um, it was, it meant summary, the summary arrest. And the summary arrest was this interesting thing where you would, everyone sort of wore these tunics, um, fashion, I don't know why. Uh, and there was like a rope around the neck and you would go to somebody and you would grab them and you would spin it backwards and you would pull the rope really tight and hold it there so that if they tried to escape, they kind of, uh, and you'd like choke them out a little bit. And you would hold them there and you would take them to the place we talked about last week, um, the, uh, the, the, the elder court in the community. Um, again, in Corinth, it was called the Bema Seat. Um, and you would take them to this elder court. They would all be sitting on top of this platform and you'd go up the stairs and you'd stand there and you'd say, hey, this guy robbed me uh, and I'm bringing him to you. Um, so it wasn't at all uncommon in the first century to see somebody walking down the road holding someone else by the throat. I'm like, hey, Jim, you're just walking down the road with a criminal. You caught this guy. Um, and this wasn't, this isn't talking about like what we have today where like I left the cap off of something and it all dumped out and it was worth $90,000 and now you're suing me for negligence, whatever. That's like accidental stuff. This was purposeful stuff. You're grabbing people and taking them to court. People who deliberately do awful things, thieves, kidnappers, rapists, people that you have caught in your community who basically have like this sort of uh, criminal intent everywhere they go. What can I get from these people? What's the easiest way to make a buck, take from other people? The whole idea, like you don't care about these people. You're going to get their stuff. Um, And so you run some scams, you do whatever. And this person takes you to court. Now, um, it's a very deliberate act. So, and Jesus is very clear, like, what he should do. He should, he should make amends. He should, you know, talk it out with this guy. But there's something bigger at play here. Um, because remember, here's our subject. Like, we're talking about murder, and we're talking about anger. Um, and suddenly we find ourselves talking about, like, church and burglars. Church and burglars. Like, it's a good band name, but like, what is that? How do we, how did we get there? What do those have to do at all with anger? Like, how is this connected at all? Did he just go off on a bunny trail? No, there's a reason that he does this. Um, so let's think about it like this. We start off with, we start off with murder. At the root of murder is this anger. At the root of anger is, um, this hatred, this raka, this bitterness, looking down on other people, not caring about their general well-being, thinking of yourself as higher than them. Um, and you get down there, and Jesus tells these two different stories. Now, um, all of this, if, if you really want to find the meaning of this, you're gonna, I'm going to circle one word here, and the word right there, the word so. It's this Greek word, un. Um, and sometimes it's translated therefore. And when you are um, in like entry-level Bible school, they're going to tell you, hey, whenever you see the word therefore, you should find out what it's Therefore, none of you obviously went to Bible school. Um, and, uh, and, and so this is a connecting word. It's meant to like, okay, so think about this. I'm going to tell you the story. And if he says, therefore, you should do these things, your, your job is to find out how these things connect. Why, why is the rabbi doing these things to connect these things? So what he's doing is he talks about the, the, the hatred and the bitterness, um, the arrogance and the pride that we carry inside all of us. And then he says, so, whether you find yourself at the temple worshiping or whether you find yourself on the way to prison, there is one thing to do. And notice he doesn't say, if you find yourself at the temple to worship, he doesn't say, 
pull out your doctrinal statement and go through it and do all these things. He says, there's one thing you should do. You should be focusing on whether or not you're reconciled to people. If you find yourself on your way to prison, um, I want you to do the same thing I told this really righteous guy over here to do. I want you to think about the fact that um, you're viewing people wrong and you're not reconciled with people. He's taking this particular thing and replying it to the widest audience possible. All of us on every level, lawyers and beggars, all right? Missionaries and like every, just everyone, one end of the spectrum to the other. He's telling all of them, if you find yourself here or here or here or here, I want you to stop and think, is where I am, um, am, I, am I, wherever I am right now, even if it's the greatest place, like, am I reconciled to people? That is the most important thing on his heart. Do I love people? Am, am I looking at people through the eyes of the gospel, which puts all of us on the same level and says we all need one thing, which is repentance and to receive the grace of God that God has for us. Am I... Am I harboring hatred, bitterness, bigotry, racism? Is it in me? Where is it? Wherever you find yourself, it is the same thing, whether you're a burglar or a preacher, the same thing. How do I view people? And how could I change that? He says, no matter where you are, you should reconcile with people. Wherever you find yourself, you should reconcile with people. Um, Because... God's regard for humanity and his love for every human soul is so great that the more, it, it's, it's, it's more important in the eyes of God, apparently, that you reconcile with people than you worship is the most important thing to God. And we see this over and over again. There's this, there's this church in Corinth in the first century and they were a mess. And Paul visited them twice um, and they are regularly writing these letters to Paul talking about the wreck that their church was um, and all the people are fighting. And so Paul writes them three letters, maybe four letters. Um, there's only two of them that survived the ravages of history. We have two letters. We, they're in the canon of scripture and they're called First and Second Corinthians. And in these two letters, um, we see like Paul giving advice to this church um, that exposes the wreck that this church was. Absolute tragedy of a church. If you've been in my uh, Watermark 101 class, I've talked about this because what's going on is these people are fighting over who is the greatest in the church. All of them. They're fighting over uh, what is the greatest spiritual gift. They're fighting over... Um, who gets positions of authority, who gets to go when, who gets the most attention, who gets the most praise, who gets to sit in the seats of the teacher and authority. Is it more important that you worship really well or is it more important that you're really well educated in the things of God? Is it more important um, how you worship or is it more important that you have the right doctrine? Like what is the most important thing? They are just fighting over everything. Um, And so Paul writes them a letter. Now we're us Americans, we have a lot of problems in our churches as well. And so we like to take letters that are written in scriptures and make them not about what they're about and make them about other things. So we'll take a, a passage like 1 Corinthians 13 and we'll cut out the beginning of it and go to the second half and we'll put it, we'll sing, read it at weddings, right? Like love is patient, love is kind, love is this, love is that. And we're like, this is what love is. Um, but we don't like to grasp the fact that this was a rebuke because none of them loved anyone. And they're trying to have a church and they're trying to worship And so he writes to them and he says this, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels and I do not have love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. 
If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, to it, it, uh, it's referring to giving them to the poor. And it says, and if I hand over my body, that's talking about martyrdom. Because in the first century, if you died a martyr, you were venerated. Your name was written in these special martyr books. And they made statues of you and talked about you. And it was sort of this goal. Um, and if I gave over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So Paul writes to them, he says, hey. The highest things that you can think of, the most important things that you can possibly think to attain in your spiritual faith life. Like, this is what these debates online are, right? Like, we're right, they're wrong, we're right, they're wrong, and we're all trying to, who's more right, who's more wrong? The person who is most right is the person who loves other people the way Jesus loves them. It's, it's known and exposed by the fruits of the Spirit inside you, in your heart, working out through your hands and feet and your mouth and your eyes and it's how you look at people and it's how you act around people. And so while everyone's gathering around trying to be most spiritual and playing church, Jesus says, yeah, but it means nothing to me because you don't love other people. This is where we find ourselves. It's where we find ourselves in our country. Church is just unloving, but we're all fighting for the most righteous things in the public sphere. Everyone's looking at us fight for the most righteous thing, Um, but it's love. Paul said this over and over and over again. It's love. Um, and, and here's the thing about this. It's about the heart to reconcile. You may never reconcile with whoever it is that is now separated from you. You may never reconcile. You may never be able to. Some people don't want to reconcile. Again, you can't take people where they don't want to go. Um, if people don't want to be reconciled to you, you can't make them reconciled to you. But it's about the posture in the heart that like, I'm open to it. I will pour myself out for you at any given moment to make sure. And, I, and even though like, we're not like, together in relationship anymore, I still wish the best for you. And when I pray for you, I pray for peace over your family. And I pray for, for all the, the hopes and dreams you have to come true because I, I truly want them to. And I pray for that. Um, I don't, I don't, you're not in debt to me. You don't owe me anything. This is forgiveness, by the way. You don't owe me anything. That's how you forgive. You get to the place where you say, there's nothing left to do. That's where God is with you, by the way. There's nothing to do. It's all been done. The work's been done. Um, this is how this works. And so um, Paul even writes in, 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 to the church in Rome, who's going through the same thing. He says, if at all possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He's... Whatever part you have to play, whatever words you said, if any apology you need to, to write, any reparations you need to make, if you need to pay them back, even if you don't think it's your fault, whatever you can do to reconcile with people and to make it right, you do it and then you just kind of let it go. I, I, me and my wife talk about this sometimes, like the, the, the desire to control things is huge in people. And I've come to the point where like, no, you do something and it's like bowling. Like you ever see people, they bowl and then they kind of dance around trying to get the ball to do something? Um, that's what this is. You, you just let it go. Once it leaves your hands, you let it go. And what happens, happens. Come what may. Whatever it knocks down, whatever stays standing, um, there it is. Um, but, but if at all possible, so far as it depends upon you, you live peaceably with the people around you, um, with all people. Uh, beloved, never avenge yourselves. No, if your enemies are hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, you give them something to drink. Again, like you just wish the best for them. Whatever they need, find a way to maybe help them get it. 
you may never win him back. That's not the point. The point is to have a heart. The heart of God is what the point is. Um, and, and here's the other thing, like, the thing you need to remember, whenever you're going through, especially like the Beatitudes that we just went through and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not making new laws. That's not what he's doing. He's not saying, blessed are the poor, and so now we have to run out and be poor. Blessed are the... He's, he's making statements and proclamations that are freeing people. Um, and so, sometimes we take these things and we say, well, um, I, I can't even go to church and worship because I got like 30 people I got to go talk to first. So there's no point. Like he's not making a law to this. Like you're not in sin if you worship God, even though you, you know, like I need to, I'm, it's a posture of moving towards something. Jesus is not making new laws. He's not like getting out a piece of paper and like law number one, law number two. It's, it's like the thousand commandments. Um, and and um, Dallas Willard in his, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, writes on this passage about this. And here's what he says. Though these two illustrations, uh, I'm sorry, through these two illustrations, we finally see the kingdom goodness play side by side with the mere goodness of not killing, which then looks quite empty by contrast. If we made the laws of these illustrations and we followed them, would that make us right towards our brother or sister? Not at all. We could do these things and yet find many other ways to hurt our neighbor. We would miss the whole point. This is about um, a posture of love towards people. This is about being a conduit of the grace and love and mercy and forgiveness of God. This is not about a checklist of things to make sure you're doing so that you're not sinning. It has to do with your heart being renewed and made whole again. Um, there's a, it's this sort of understanding that we all have the same job. We all have the same problems and we all have the same job. Wherever you find yourself, whatever it is that you do, um, at the height of your spiritual moment of your day, at the bottom of it all, um, the thing to focus on is you need to reconcile with some people because you have a heart that God has. You need to always be thinking of the ways that you are not respecting the image of God and other human beings. Put those things aside, make them right again. There's this place, there's another time where Paul, one of the times he's visiting Corinth, this city we talked about earlier with the really messed up church. Um, he's visiting them and at one point you can sort of see these questions going back and forth where they're like, like who are you anyways? Like Paul, what are you, are you Jewish now? Like you were, you were Jewish before, but now you're not, not one of them. What are you, what are you doing? Are you one of these Christians? Are you a, a Jew? Do you, are you like a Gnostic? Because sometimes you're quoting our literature. Like Ed Marcel is quoting their literature. Are you uh, you're like a Platonist? Like, what are you? What are you doing, Paul? And Paul's answer is awesome. Paul says this. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given the ministry of reconciliation. So hold on a second. So they're like, Paul, what is it? What are you doing? Anyway, what is, what is your thing? He goes, hey, I'm in the business of reconciliation. That's what I do. That's what it says on my business card here. Paul, apostle, minister, ministry of reconciliation. Like it's, on the, it's on the sign on my desk. That's, that's what I'm here to do. I'm in the business of bringing people back together because sin has broken us. Sin has moved us apart. The sin is in our hearts. It's in all of us. It's not out there. It's in here and I'm purging it and I'm gonna get it out of your hearts and we're gonna, I'm gonna bring all of you guys together. Um, and as we come together, we're gonna have a reason and it's the work of Jesus um, because because this came from somewhere. Paul didn't just invent this. And he says this, um, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So, so God enters into your story as like you and um, looking, and he, and he walks into this world and he looks around and he says, I'm, all the things that you've done, I'm not gonna count these things against you. I'm just gonna start moving towards you and drawing you in. And so he's like, you'll see him at these tables. He'll set these tables and he'll have food at these tables. And sitting around the tables, you'll have like uh, Pharisees, religious leaders and scribes and like prostitutes and zealot, which was a first century terrorist murderer. One of them was his disciples. Um, uh, and, and like these tax collectors, like Matthew himself, the guy who, who wrote the book we're studying. Um, like this is, these are the people that he would gather around. Not just that, he made the lowest ones like his leaders in the world. That they are the, re- they are the reason we are here. Jesus, this is what he did. He, he did this. He took people from both ends of the spectrum, literally at the table. You have criminals and you have Pharisees. So the ones he's talking about in the story, he gathers at his table and he says, hey, I don't, I don't think you understand the love God has for you. I don't think you understand just how far God would go to bring you back to each other and to himself. God is making a kingdom and this kingdom is, is gonna be vastly different than anything you could imagine. And this kingdom starts in here in our hearts. The kingdom is at hand and Jesus is teaching and we're working for this kingdom to come down to this place and renew everything and reconcile everything to God. This is what God does. God's in the business of reconciliation. And so this is why I'm here. And he gives this business like, it's like the first like spiritual pyramid scheme. Like he leads it to them and he says, and now it's your turn to go into the business of reconciliation. I have a great business opportunity for you, right? How many of those texts did you get in the last year? Um, and, and they're sending, he's sending these people out all over the world to get into the business of reconciliation, to create more followers of Jesus. This is what this is. And as this spreads, the kingdom of God is established all over the world and things change. People's hearts turn towards higher divine godly things. This is how this works. This is what you're doing here. So whoever you are, lowly college student eating your ramen, rich, fancy CEO, driving your whatever. I, had, I never got in the parking lot. Um, I'm always in here. Um, you, you have the same problems. It's reconciliation. It's how you view other people. Do you view them through the heart of the gospel? The, the body of Christ broken for these people in front of you. The blood of Christ poured out for these people in front of you so that they would know love, so that they would know grace and mercy. Um, we need to take communion. Our communion service, go ahead and head on back and gather the elements and spread around the room. Communion is what sort of brings this whole thing together. It's, it's the picture of, of reconciliation. It's a common thing. It's bread, it's wine, it's stuff you've seen everywhere. But in this moment, in this moment, you see Christ in it. It represents the body of Christ. It's the, in, in the word communion is the word common. Finding Christ in the common. This is a spiritual exercise. The point of this exercise is to get you thinking about finding Christ in the common um, and the gospel going down, deep inside of you and changing you. So as you end up going throughout your day, you start thinking Christ in the common. This conversation I'm having, I can put Jesus in this conversation. I can see Jesus in this. This moment is divine. Every moment you go throughout your day, there's a reason God has you there and a purpose that God has you there for. And to understand that like, I can find Jesus here in this moment and I can take part in the business, the ministry of reconciliation. And that's what this is. 
And so we're going to, our communion servers, you guys come on in, uh, come on out and spread around in the aisles. Um, I want to invite all of you to take communion with us. Um, as you prepare your hearts for communion, it's, it's very simple. You're going to take a piece of bread, you're going to dip it in the wine, and you're going to eat it, and you're going you're to contemplate the fact that the body of Christ was broken for you, the blood of Christ was spilled for you. Um, there is grace being offered to you. Um, there is love. I hope you can find a way to receive it. Um, and uh, as you are preparing your hearts for communion, I want you to think about those relationships that are broken, those things you just have no openness towards healing, towards making right. And I'm not saying you need to run out today and get your phone and make a phone call or send a text or write an email. Um, I want you to pray. I want you to pray maybe for good things for them. I want you to start slowly loosening up your heart and saying, I hope that I, I just, Father, give them a, a good day today maybe. Let, let them feel loved somehow by somebody. Let them find some happiness and let them smile and, and, and every day sort of move in that direction. Pray a little more. Pray for happiness and joy. Your heart starts softening. It, 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 it loosens up. It opens up. And then, and then find maybe you'll, in the future you'll find some way to like reach out and begin to make things right. It could be a long journey. It may never happen. But insofar as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all people. You don't need to carry that around. Broken things can be put back together. That's what resurrection represents. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this place, these people. I pray that the eyes that we see with would, we would learn to look through your eyes. That you would be uh, sort of our vision, if you will. Help us to uh, learn to reconcile with people. Help us to don't look down on people, but in fact, start to look up at them. Start seeing not what they are or what they have been, but what they could be. The plan that you have for them. Make us whole. Guide us. Let us worship with pure hearts. um, Hearts that are open to reconcile with people. Thank you. In your name. Amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.